Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to Off the Bench. Today is Mailbox Monday. I got a lot of questions, and I think you guys are going to love it. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So, all right. I'm glad you guys are here. Today's Mailbox Monday, one of my favorite days of the week here at the podcast, because it allows me the opportunity to interact directly with you. If you guys are interested in having me address your questions here at the show, just go ahead and go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. Also, I'm going to put some links in the show notes today uh, where you can send me different things. So for example, we're getting a lot of off the bench stories, which I really love. And we're going to start highlighting those more as the days and weeks progress. If you're interested in getting those to me, uh, I'm going to link back to how you can do that specifically in the show notes today. So check that out. I'm glad you guys are doing that. So before I get started today, a really, really exciting thing happened in the life of my family a few days ago. And that was the birth of our fourth grandbaby, a little boy, our grandson, Thatcher John, made his way into the world last Tuesday on the longest day of the year, the first day of summer. We were pretty excited about that. Uh, Savannah just did great. She and her husband uh, was fantastic for, for me to be able to be there and watch little Thatcher make his entrance into the world. It was I was reminded when I was there just of the importance and the preciousness of family and that God made the family. You don't get to decide who's born into your family. You don't get to decide uh, uh, what their traits are, those immutable characteristics of what their smile is going to look like. Although I have to say, as soon as I laid eyes on little Thatcher, I was like, oh my goodness, he looks like his brother, Wesley. (laughs) In fact, he looks just like him. It's always a lot of fun. But just watching uh, our family embracing new life, whether it's through birth or through adoption, this is God's, God's deal. God's the one who made family, and we just embrace it here uh, at the podcast and obviously in the St. John family. And so just wanted to thank you guys for rejoicing with us in Thatcher's safe arrival. Both my daughter and my grandson are just doing great. So that was exciting. Really fun for me, too, because that night I was doing a candidate forum in Vancouver, and Savannah had texted me in the morning, and she said, hey, mom, I'm having contractions. I think this might be the this might be it. And so I was sort of watching my phone and, and staying in touch with her throughout the day. And right before I, I took the stage, she let me know that she was heading to the hospital. So as soon as I was done with that, I raced over to the hospital with Jay and we made it there. Little Thatcher was born just a little before midnight. So very exciting. And uh, just want to encourage you guys, family is worth celebrating. It's worth protecting. It's one of the reasons I'm running for Congress to bring a voice for the family back into our government. We are losing our appreciation for family, our appreciation for patriotism. We're losing so many things right now because we don't have uh, good leadership in this country. And that's a fact. All right. I'm going to get to your questions at Mailbox Monday. So again, uh, you guys sending me some really great stories. I want to read to you an off the bench story that I got recently from Lizelle in California. And she has formed a political action committee, which I really love this. She said, Heidi, I love your podcast and your books. I'm a huge fan. I am part of a newly formed political action committee in Riverside County, which is Southern California. Uh, We've been working hard over the past few months to select God-fearing parents who can support and who we can support and get them elected into four school boards 
in our area. I run my own PR firm and I'm donating my services to help with communications and efforts for the Political Action Committee. We have upcoming family-friendly barbecue happening on July 9th. So if you guys are near Riverside uh, County in Southern California, check this out. They're having a barbecue. You can get in line. She said, we hosted our big event, our first one in in April, and it was a huge success. We raised $100,000. This is exciting. She said, also, I want to thank you for running for Congress. I love that you are practicing what you preach. So many people in the culture talk a big talk, but do nothing. Now is the time to rise up and be salt and light. And as a U.S. Congresswoman, your actions will impact our nation as a whole. And I firmly support you. So that's exciting. Uh, I want to be just, I'm going to be supporting what you guys are doing. So thank you, Lizelle in California for that. And uh, we're going to check out what you're doing. I think it's exciting. All right, let's go to your questions today. If you guys got questions again, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. All right, this one was the first one, just jumping right into the deep end today from an anonymous listener in Iowa. She said, Heidi, how do you feel about vasectomies? Does the Bible have a clear cut answer on this? After our fifth child was born, my husband got the snip against my wishes. I pleaded my case prior, explained to him I felt it was not right for us as Christians, and yet he proceeded. I was told that by, quote, letting him get the procedure, I was being a submissive white, yet his decision has nearly destroyed our marriage. I felt as if he cut away a beautiful gift from the Lord. He has since had a successful reversal, and I'm pregnant with number six. And though I'm happy the Lord blesses with another child, I still ache over what could have been number seven had the vasectomy not taken place. I feel like they are a worldly thing to do and wish I could raise awareness to just skip the snip, but don't want to lead anyone astray if my feelings and thinking are not actually biblically sound. All right, so this is a good question. And I'm just gonna, I guess I would start by saying, this has been a conversation, particularly in the homeschool community for many, many years. And uh, I have studied what God's word says on this. I've taught on it over the years. And I, it's a controversial subject. There's absolutely no question because the Bible does not clear, clearly condone or condemn its use. So when we talk about birth control, we need to be thinking about what kind of birth control could be used as an abortive fasten. I've talked about this before, meaning once an egg and a sperm unite and you have an individual human being that's been created, right? This is a, a human being who at the spark of life, the moment that an egg and a sperm unite, you've got unique DNA that has never existed before and will never exist again. This is uh, an individual in the sight of the Lord. The Bible talks very clearly about that. So when you talk about birth control, you need to be sure that whatever birth control method you're using does not uh, end the life of that fertilized egg. And there are several forms of birth control that definitely do do that. So I want to, I want you to look into that. But the Bible doesn't address permanent forms of birth control. It doesn't address vasectomies. It doesn't address tubal ligations, for example. But I will say this, when I read your question, and this is really what I'm going to, to highlight. The thing that grieves me about what you said in your letter was the fact that your husband had done this. So there's a couple of things I'm looking at, right? The fact that your husband said he, that you said your husband did this against your wishes, that should never happen in a healthy marriage. So if, it, I mean, I wouldn't buy a car without my husband and I being on the same page. I'm certainly not going to go do something permanent that affects our ability to have a child if we don't agree on this issue. So to me, this is an issue of your marriage and where your marriage is at. And obviously it grieved you. And so that is a bigger issue to me than whether or not um, getting a vasectomy is right or wrong. If one of, of the two of you inside the marriage, you can't come to agreement, then the answer is simply we don't move forward with something as permanent or potentially permanent 
as a vasectomy would be or a tubal ligation definitely is, right? And so the fact that you said you pleaded with him and he did it anyway tells me that you guys had some issues in your marriage that looked like had have been uh, that have been resolved. I also want to address something else. And I realize, again, this isn't what you asked me, but this is what I'm sort of picking out of your letter. The other thing that I'm, I'm looking at is that you have said that you've since, you know, he got the, he got a reversal and then you had a successful pregnancy and you, and you're pregnant right now with number six, but you're still frustrated because you think this could have been number seven. I just want to encourage you uh, not to do that, not to continue to look back um, and, and have your heart ache over something. It seems to me that God brought your husband around and that you guys are on the same page again. But if you're constantly looking backwards and you're thinking, well, we could have had seven and now we have six, you're not being thankful for what God has done in giving you this amazing opportunity to be on the same page with your husband, to have another baby if you guys uh, were praying about that together and that's what you wanted to do. And so a lot of these things that we think are simple and, um, and clear cut issues eventually end up eroding the marriage. But in terms of what God's word says about birth control, I think, as I said before, this is an issue of what does God love and what does God value? We know that God values children, right? His word is very clear about that. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. And I I guess for me, as someone who's been uh, talking about this, this particular topic on the road for many, many years, People have asked me this question uh, in, you know, in places as liberal as Seattle and as uh, conservative as places like Oklahoma. My answer is always the same. The Bible says children are a blessing. When we don't see them as a blessing, and certainly that's the case in the culture right now, when we don't see them as a blessing, we are not recognizing that God's word is true. God says that they are a gift from the Lord. And in fact, Psalm 127 which is the theme of so many of my messages says that children are not burdens to bear. They are blessings to receive with joy. Psalm 127 says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the city gate. And so uh, from a biblical perspective, I think the question is not, uh, do we get a vasectomy or do we not? That's a, that, that, I mean, in terms of a biblical mandate, The question is, do we understand the preciousness of children and do we see them as blessings as God says that they are? I've said many times, and I know some of you guys don't like this, but I'm going to stand by it because I don't see a clear-cut case in scripture against a permanent form of birth control. What I do see is that uh, we should be always looking at the ability to have children as a gift and a blessing from the Lord. God said children are a blessing. I don't read anywhere in the Bible that it is a requirement. And in fact, no one in the Bible is ever recorded as being unhappy about bearing children. God says it's a wonderful thing. And we just saw this repeated in our family just the other night when uh, when Thatcher was born. It's an incredible, wonderful, beautiful thing to be able to have a child, to welcome children into our homes. I'm gonna link to a couple of articles that I thought were uh, were really good uh, Focus in the Family has a great article about this. It's called Practical Moral and Spiritual Implications of Sterilization. And I'm going to read to you the, the uh, opening uh, paragraph for this particular article. It says that there are no direct and easy answers to this question, though it's possible to find equally committed Christians with strong opinions on both sides of the issue. The fact remains that the Bible does not directly address all of the moral and spiritual implications 
of many modern medical procedures, such as vasectomy and tubal ligation. We realize that some denominations, for example, the Roman Catholic Church and certain movements in the Christian community are firmly opposed to any type of contraception and regard voluntary sterilization as both presumptuous and sacrilegious. At the same time, many Christians of good faith and conscience view vasectomy and tubal ligation as acceptable methods of birth control. As representatives of a non-denominational ministry, it is not our goal to make pronouncements in this part of the debate over contraception. So if you're wrestling with questions of this nature, we we recommend that you discuss them with your pastor. And, uh, and I agree with them. Again, like I said, um, if you guys are looking at uh, taking some sort of permanent measure, my main concern is that you both be on the same page. It is terribly uh, injurious to a relationship and to a human being when one party in the marriage decides uh, that the answer is no. And we've, I've, for years, I've said on the show, in a marriage relationship or really in any relationship, the person who says no has all the power, right? And so we want to be listening to our uh, spouse, loving them, praying with them, and certainly not going ahead with something as permanent as a, as a tubal ligation unless we prayed about it and we are both on the same page. So that's my major concern. And I would just encourage you, Anonymous in Iowa, be thankful that God has blessed you with another child and don't continue to hold the fact that you may or may not have had another child during that time period against your husband. It will lead to bitterness and that will erode your marriage. And so, uh, and so just continue to be thankful for what God has given you. All right, Scott in Missouri. Dear Heidi, my question is inspired by the constant blame shifting and inability or refusal to take ownership of outcomes of policy put in place or supported by politicians. So his question was uh, had a couple of different facets to it. One, why do politicians rarely admit to having made the wrong decision? Is it a flaw in one's character? Is it the impossibly high standard that our society has placed on these imperfect people or is it something else? So this is a this is an interesting question because you can't get into the heart of a politician. But I can tell you in running for Congress for the last year and a half, uh, I think a lot of these people, they make decisions and then they hear, and then they get new information. And so they change their mind or they change direction. I think that when you change your position on something, uh, if it's done from a position of conscience and not because you manipulated your way into a situation because you said you'd vote one way, knowing that you would vote another way, right? That's just straight up lying. But like I told someone the other day, if I'm going to the floor of the House of Representatives and I'm getting ready to vote on something and an aide comes up to me and says, hey, Mrs. St. John, we missed this one thing on page 6,942, paragraph three, sentence four, there's a little tiny statement in here which changes the flavor of the bill that you are getting ready to vote on. Do you think I would change my mind? The answer is absolutely. I think politicians don't admit to making wrong decisions because the electorate is very unforgiving. And in many cases, you notice that people are more willing to forgive a guy who will continue to do what he said he would do, even though it's the wrong thing to do, than someone who said that they would do something, got new information and decided to change their mind. And so this has a lot to do, I think, with what we expect of politicians and a lot to do with the nature of politics. It's kind of a bloody business, but I'm a huge fan of uh, humility in politics and believing that these positions uh, are best filled by people who are humble and willing to say, you know what, I made a mistake and I'm going to, I'm going to correct that and move on. Uh, And so these are imperfect people trying to go into a sphere of influence that is very, very difficult to navigate. And I think humility helps us navigate these things very well. The second part of this question says, I know that your political career is just beginning 
but could you share a time or topic that you have failed or made a wrong decision and you learn from it? Uh, I appreciate your voice for Christians getting off the bench. So this is a great question. And uh, yes, I mean, definitely very, very early on when I announced a run for Congress, I was asked a question after I think I'd been a candidate for all of three weeks. I was asked a question in a very heated uh, room about whether or not I would continue to support and get behind a candidate if the president, if President Trump endorsed them. I looked to the candidate on my right. I looked to the candidate on my left. And at the time, I had been told and was under the the impression that both of those men were committed conservatives. These are people who had been lifelong conservatives. They would vote with conservative values, both fiscally and uh, socially. And so I said that I would do that. In hindsight, I wish I would have said, and this probably would have got me, I I mean, I think this was a sort of, you know, you're danged if you do, danged if you don't. I think that if I would have said, hey, no, I'd like to get to know these guys better, I would have been in trouble then. But I went ahead and said, yes, whoever President Trump endorses, I would get behind them, believing that both of these men were committed conservatives. Well, as the months went on, I learned that one of my opponents in particular definitely was not what I would consider to be a conservative, not fiscally, absolutely not fiscally. This is a big government guy running as a Republican and it really bothered me. And so Trump, unfortunately, last, I think, September endorsed him. I will never understand why he did that, but he did it. He also endorsed Mehmet Oz uh, running in Pennsylvania, which is another just shocking, that was a shocking uh, turn of events for me as well. But if I could go back and do that again, because I stayed in the race, you know, here I was, I said I would get out. And then I learned I had new information. I realized I'm not going to get out and give this race to a guy who I consider to be a socialist. So I stayed in the race. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, That was a that was a tough lesson. But I believe I did the right thing. Even being accused of lying, people have said, well, you lied. No, the definition of a lie is the willful intent to deceive. When I get new information, I'm going to change my mind. I've done this in parenting. Uh, I've done it in many instances uh, in my life as an adult and as a business owner. And I think that's very important. All right, you guys, I've got two more questions we're going to answer. We're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. Mike Lindell and MyPillow are offering a buy one, get one extravaganza on multiple MyPillow products. This offer is good on MyPillow bed sheets, Giza Elegance, MyPillows, the six-piece towel sets, roll and go anywhere MyPillows, and so much more. Just go to the radio listener special page at MyPillow.com and use promo code Heidi or call 1-800-447-0541. All right, you guys, welcome back. Gloria in Illinois has a response to a podcast that I did on in vitro fertilization. She said, my husband and I are abortion abolitionists who have completed the necessary steps to adopt. We are waiting now, specifically a child with Down syndrome as they are targeted in abortions. We have been on the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network list and were contacted by a mother looking to donate her embryo that tested positive for Down syndrome. It's a sticky situation that many clinics refuse to allow anything but termination or donation to science, refusing to implant a disabled child. This donor mother became a believer after she had done the IVF years prior and had two live birth children from her IVF and wanted to donate the remaining lives. The NEDC, the National Embryo Donation Center in Knoxville, Tennessee, is one of the few embryo centers that considers all life precious and does implantations on, quote, special consideration embryos such as Down syndrome and other disabilities or those who are at high risk. They believe that all life is precious and would be a great resource for people looking to adopt an embryo. 
I just wanted to give you additional information on embryo adoption as many people who complete IVF may be contemplating what to do with their frozen embryos. This may be especially helpful to someone who has a, who has a frozen special needs embryo. Man, you guys, I've never even, I've never even heard of that, but I do know that, um, that children with disabilities, particularly Down syndrome, are absolutely targeted in abortion, uh, and it's a tragedy. So I love that. I will link back to that organization in the show notes today. Heather in South Dakota asking for my feedback on World Magazine. Uh, what are your thoughts on World Magazine and uh, God's uh, World News, et cetera? Is this biblical and trustworthy as a resource for parents and kids? I've talked about this a little bit before. I'm not a huge fan of World Magazine for a couple of reasons, but I wouldn't say that they're anti-Christian either. And it certainly is a great um, alternative to some of the other news sources that are out there. And so I've talked about this. I'm not going to camp out on it today. A couple of reasons for me not being a huge fan of uh, World Magazine is because I have seen over the years, I saw this particularly in uh, 2020 and in 2016 when President Trump was running for office, there were a couple of decisions that they made, particularly putting Trump on the cover of their magazine right before the election and telling Christians basically anybody but this guy which really put that election at risk. I thought it was foolish and uh, ill-advised and also kind of showed me a side of that magazine that I wasn't really uh, keen on. A couple of other things have happened since then. So I always tell people, do your homework. And that goes right into the next question. Uh, an anonymous listener in Oregon asked me, Heidi, has Liberty University gone woke? This was shocking to me because I'm like, no, I, I love Liberty University, but here's the truth. And I'm going to link to this article and you guys can do your own homework. I'm going to hopefully get someone on the show who can help clear this up. But it appears that uh, Liberty University has just created an office for diversity, equity, and inclusion and are hiring a man who spearheaded the DEI programs at large corporations like Walmart and Sachs or Goldman Sachs to lead the office. So the short answer appears to be, it looks like they're at least starting to go woke. Uh, I'm reading here that they've embraced their secular social justice movement. And so, uh, but I'm not willing to say these guys are full on secularists, but it sure looks like they're leaning that way. You guys, diversity, equity, inclusion is a, is a disaster. It's a disaster for this country. It's a disaster for uh, the military. You guys just heard me talking with my brother-in-law last week about that. Uh, we're bringing this ridiculous insanity into our military. And it makes me sad to see that Christian universities are adopting both the language and the ideology of uh, DEI. I really hope that doesn't include Liberty University, but it might. And we've certainly seen this over and over and over again. Uh, Melissa in Illinois, how old is old enough to watch what is a woman? Uh, Heidi, you're such a blessing. Thank the Lord for your example of what it looks like to be a godly woman. I just finished watching per your recommendation when do you think someone is old enough to watch this? Well, we watched it with our 11-year-old daughter. Uh, she's used to these conversations, though. She's the youngest of seven children. And obviously, you know, uh, I am deep into the social, uh, the social and cultural discussions that are happening around us. And I thought it was so well done. You know, if your kids are familiar, I'd say probably, you know, 10 years old, I, it would probably be the age that I would look at. But there was nothing in there that I thought was inappropriate uh, in, in fact, parts of it were funny. Matt did a great job of just inserting a little bit of levity into what is a very difficult discussion. But uh, I thought it was well done. And if my child was 10 years old, I wouldn't have a hard time, you know, sitting down with my kid and watching it. It's kind of excruciatingly painful to watch. And yet at the same time, you're like, oh, good. I'm not the only one who feels that way. <laughs> so 
so I would be like I would tell you, just like with uh, you know, with what is a woman and whether or not uh, you want your kids to uh, attend Liberty University or read World Magazine, we need discernment. And I've done many podcasts on this over over the years. We're actually doing a Bible study right now at MomStrong International on the importance of discernment. Uh, Jesus said that we're to test everything, that we test the spirits. In other words, we hold whatever it is up to the light of scripture. We filter it through scripture and whatever comes out on the other side, that's how we know. Is this, according to Philippians 8, whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, uh, dwell on those things. And the moment I recognize either a university is not doing that anymore or a magazine, I'm going to be looking for uh, you know, things to do. If I could play devil's advocate for a moment, one reason that I would say, hey, keep getting World Magazine is so that you can. That's a great way to test your discernment muscles. Read those things with your kids. Talk about them. Hold it up to the light of scripture. See what God's word says. And don't be afraid to tackle these really important topics. That's all that I have time for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm gonna come back tomorrow. There's a few more questions that I wanted to get to today and I didn't get to it. If you guys have questions you would like to have answered, here at the show, reach out to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. Thank you guys so much for listening and for your prayers. Uh, certainly there are primaries coming up all over the country right now. If you are not registered to vote, I'm gonna link to it in the show notes today. If you are not registered to vote, register now. Now is the time to register. Get involved in these primaries. Look and see who is running. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to the positions that they hold and then take part in the amazing sacred opportunity that you have to uh, have a voice in electing the people who are leading, whether it's your state houses or in your communities or even in places like the federal government, your voices are needed. Appreciate you guys listening. Have a great day. And I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture.